This is episode 21 with Cronulla Sharks legend, Andrew Weddinghausen. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Great episode, a personal one for me today. It's up to episode 21 with former Sharks legend and captain, Andrew Eddinghausen. You know, for those of you that have listened to all the podcasts from, you know, dot one, you know, I like to ask that question, you know, the posters on your wall growing up and E.T. was one of the guys that, you know, I idolized growing up and I'm a huge Cronulla Sharks supporter and E.T., you know, he provided me with heaps of inspiration growing up and just heaps of great memories too. So I'm absolutely stoked to get him on the show. So we're going to be asking a lot of the questions are kind of things that I've always wanted to ask from simple things like how he got the name ET and, you know, playing under Johnny Lang and a few of the other great coaches he's also been playing under, what he thought of the 2016 Grand Final. And he also had some a really special combination with the likes of Paul Green and Matt Rogers. So I'm just going to pick his brain a little bit on there. Talk a little bit about the Kangaroo Tours, both in 1990 and 1994. He's one of the, you know, one of the best try scorers in both those teams. So it's going to be great just to, you know, just hear his opinion on different things. So I'm absolutely stoked, like I said, to get him on. Before I, before Andrew comes on the show, just a big shout out to everyone subscribing, leaving five star reviews. Got some great feedback from our last episode with Trevor Hendy. So I really appreciate that. If you want to get in touch with me, please connect with me on social media, Twitter. I'm at TNL Fitness. On Facebook, Talking with TK, or Instagram, you can find me at Tristan Nell as one word. Or if you got access to email, please send me an email at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or check out the website www.TalkingWithTK.com. But without further ado, here is ET Andrew Eddinghausen. Guys, my special guest is Andrew Weddinghausen. ET is a legend of rugby league, which includes 328 games for Cronulla and st- scoring a staggering 165 tries. His extensive representative career included 27 games for New South Wales and 25 games for Australia. Away from footy, he hosts the hit show Escape with ET, and I'm honoured to have him on Talking with TK. I welcome ET, Andrew Weddinghausen. Welcome to the show, mate. Hey, good to be here. E.T., what I want to start with first is, you know, the nickname E.T. sounds so simple, but was it something that was before footy or during footy that you got it? Yeah, I actually got it uh, during my playing days. Um, the first year I was playing first grade, there was uh, there was a, a manager of our, our team, and he just, uh, back in those days, um, he had to actually write out the team by hand, so he was uh, had to write out Eddinghouse and every single time. And he just got sick 
sick to ti- and tired with it. After <laughs> about uh, after about six weeks, he said, "Oh, this is just ridiculous." He said, "I'm just I'm just putting ET down from now on." So ET, that's how it is. So that was basically it. ET, it's it's German, isn't it? Yeah, Eddinghausen's German, so it's sort of. Um, but the E and T were the first couple of initials, and that's just how it how it worked out for him. He just he wanted it nice and simple, so yeah, he just wrote E T. Uh, and back in those days, I think I was I was fullback, so he just scribbled that down pretty quick on the paper and handed it in. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I I used to have your computer game back in like I don't know when it was the early nineties. Yeah. and they <laughs> used to have they didn't even put your name in that one either. It was like A E T. Yeah, no, that was a long time, long time ago. Yeah, no, they probably. Um, I wasn't much chop at that game, so yeah, I didn't play it that often. But uh, yeah, I think they everyone got a bit tired of the. It's almost like the length of the alphabet, so it was a good way to shorten it up. And the movie came out not long after, so it, um, once the ET movie came out, it really did stick. Yeah, you should have put a trademark on ET, bud. You would have been an absolute <laughs> monster of a pay packet for sure. Yeah, they got me, mate. They, uh, they were, once, uh, once the movie came out, that was all it. It was all over. Um, I think even at one stage there, they uh, they wanted to know, you know, who this ET was, and um, and and we went through a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a, a, a battle um, just so that I could keep the ET nickname. ET, you you debuted in '83 against Newtown from fullback. Your coach at the time was Terry Fernley, right? Yep. What do you remember of your debut and? Actually, Terry picking you for the team. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, it's it's sort of come about. Uh, you know, I was only seventeen going to school, so for me to actually get a, a running grade was um, was a you know a fast, fantastic thing to do. But uh, we just all came around really quickly. I got a lucky um, break and um, was able to play uh, fullback for reserve grade uh, in one of the trials, and we went okay and. Um, I scored a try or so, and uh, the first um, the first premiership round, the fullback for um, the, the normal fullback for reserve grade was injured again, and and so I got a start uh, in the in the second grade side. So it was really it was quite good. I was able to play um, uh, first for uh, reserve grade games at um, at fullback, and we were winning, and the first grade side were losing, so it put us in a pretty good position to. Um, uh, uh, you know, to, to be in consideration for first grade, but I wasn't thinking that at all. Just, um, you know, I was just happy to be playing great footy and I was playing with all these legends and stars who I, you know, only dreamed about the year before. I was sitting on the hill watching them. So, you know, it was a real big thing for me. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, first grade, because they were losing and we were winning, um, they wanted to make some changes and uh, Terry Fernley decided to... To uh, pick me as fullback, and um, yeah, it wasn't until I actually returned home from training on a Tuesday night that uh, uh, my dad was on the phone to somebody, and it was um, it was Terry Fernley, and he was asking permission whether or not I'd I'd be uh, yeah he, he'd get permission for me to go and play first grade that next weekend against Newtown. So yeah, it was a real big shock to the system, and uh, yeah, I guess changed my life forever. Did you ever get the opportunity to ask Terry what exactly he saw saw in you? Because at the time you were still at school, you were still seventeen. It was a big sort of pressure that he put on you. Yeah, I did. Um, I guess uh, I, I never really got the chance to, to chat to Terry about it. Being a young a young guy like that, I, I suppose I was all, always uh, you know pretty nervous and just wanted to do the right thing. So yeah. you know. Um, 
uh, you know, Terry obviously uh, could see that I was um, I was going okay in in reserve grade, and uh, and he thought, well, you know, the the move up to first grade isn't isn't um, isn't that huge from second grade, so it was um, yeah, he gave me a start. Et, one of the biggest things that sticks out about yourself is your loyalty to Cronulla for all the years. And being a Shark supporter, I knew that, you know, especially in the early 90s, like we'd done it really tough financially. How close were you ever to actually leaving? Uh, there were a couple of times where I, I did consider it actually um, uh, in the early 90s um, at the, uh, the coach of Balmain was Alan Jones. And yeah. Alan was a very... Um, you know, very vocal and, uh, you know, great talker. And, you know, I can remember being on the phone to him at length and he was, uh, you know, telling me all the, you know, the great players they had at the Tigers and how I'd make such a, you know, a, the perfect fit to come across to the Tigers and they were going to offer me all this money. And I guess, um, you know, it was, uh, we had a, had discussions for about a month and, um, uh, in the end, I just, uh, you know, I, I imagined myself uh, winning the comp with the Tigers and not winning it with the Sharks. And yeah. I think the fact that I just didn't, uh, you know, that didn't really sit too well with me. I'd grown up watching the Sharks since the age of about six on the on the hill. And, um, you know, I played all juniors and went through and played great with the Sharkies. I, I only wanted to win a comp with the Sharks, uh, you know, even though there was more money and, uh, uh, and, and a bigger chance of, of winning the competition. It was certainly um, yeah, my, my sort of goal to, to stick with the Sharkies and, and, uh, and see them through. Yeah. 1994 was a big year for everyone involved with the Sharks because, a new coach, John Lang, comes in and a new CEO and Shane Richardson as well. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that they had on the team? Yeah, they were two very successful um, uh, people in their own rights. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, when, you, when you're looking for success, um, it's always great to have people who have had uh, success in the past. John was a, a great player. Uh, he played for Australia as well in the hooking role for, uh, for a number of years. And... Um, had uh, had coached up in the Brisbane competition to uh, teams to premiership wins. Yeah. So you know John knew all about it, and Shane Richardson was a, uh, a similar sort of character, a guy um, who uh, had uh, had enormous success in, in on the business front, and um, you know so it, it meant that uh, these two guys knew each other really well. They were close friends, and both trusted each other. And you need a lot of trust when you sort of. Uh, you know, trying to get the best out of a, a football club, and and um, you know they were both very professional in everything they did. So uh, you know, no, there, there wouldn't be another person on the planet with more passion than Johnny Lang, mm. as far as coaching goes. Just incredible uh, passion for the game, love of the game. You know, he was a really, he was a great coach because he he probably understood the players, um, uh, and that was you know that's probably the the hallmark of all great coaches is that. They can get the best out of each player. Yep. And, um, you know, whilst we still didn't have a, enormous funds to throw around, he was able to bring um, different uh, different players from the Brisbane comp down. He brought Paul Green down for one and was able to uh, – Paul Donaghy was another one. Mm-hmm. was able to bring players into the Sharks um, team who probably wouldn't have got even given a go if they would have stayed up in the Brisbane comp. So, you know, it was great that he was uh, – he has a great eye for um, being able to – to, to pick players, another player, Chris Beatty, who yeah. played a lot of pl- a lot of games for the Sharks in the in the forwards, a real tough dude. I think he was about twenty six when Langley brought him down from the Brisbane comp. So it was just he had a great eye for footballers, and he knew what type of 
players that he wanted in his team, and um, you know that's uh, you know, he, and he obviously had a huge impact because um, I think almost every year he he was involved in the coaching of the side. We were in the semi-finals. Yeah, ET, you, you brought up Paul Green before, and the combination you had with him was was amazing. You know, I brought up some highlights the other day on YouTube, and you know, you scored 165 tries. I reckon Greeny's probably he probably set you up for 40 of them. Like, <laughs> he just had a knack of just yeah, no, hanging Green around. Him, a very, very talented player. Um, you know, he was uh, really pushing hard as the state of origin. He's Paul Green's a very um, successful person, but he's he's also a very driven person. And, uh, you know, when, whatever he's involved in, he's going to take it as far as he possibly can. He's smart enough to be able to do it. And, uh, you know, as far as um, talent goes, he had enormous talent as well. So, you know, for anyone, any successful people, you've got to have a lot of drive and a lot of desire and you've really got to uh, be willing to put everything into your preparation to get there. And Greeny was just like that. He... Um, you know, his first year he came on, I think he won the Rothmans medal. He he just was one of those players who, uh, you know, was a great team man as well, got on with everybody, great friends with everybody, and I'm still a great friend of his now. So, you know, he's, uh, he lives a long way away up in Townsville, but, um, you know, I was certainly on the phone to him after his grand final win telling him how, how amazing it was, and, and he said, yeah, he wished, he wished we could have done it together back in our day. So, you know, he... Um, He's a good friend and, and just a very talented, talented guy. Uh, I, I hung around him a lot, and all those players who could do something special. I was, uh, I was certainly, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be, uh, I'd form as, as close a bond as I possibly could in the team, and uh, and utilise their skills, and they could utilise mine. Yeah, et. What about Matt Rogers? You guys just had, to, you just seemed to have that bond, and you just could read each other so well. Yeah, we had a pretty close bond, uh, Matty. Um, uh, you know, I loved playing alongside him. He's one of those real gifted players, you know, and uh, I guess you, you sort of gravitate to those gifted guys. David Peachy was another one. Oh, you know, just really super talented. Um, you always wanted them in your touch footy side because yeah. they could do freaky <laughs> things. But when it come, got out onto the field, you know, they... Um, they could still do freaky things, and you know the the rat uh, was my my wingman for about six or seven, maybe even eight years, and that was just fantastic to have, you know, the son of um, my hero who was Steve Rogers growing yeah. up, uh, you know, being able to um, to play alongside him and and uh, and pull off some pretty cool cool tries and and moves and things over a long period of time. Yeah, ET. In '97, the Super League year, you and Matt, you you used to do this like flick pass back on the inside, and he used to run. Yeah, that was one of my favourites. I, I still uh, still love to love to see that. I was able to able to get Big T O and Nick O, and you know you needed to have uh, a big dominant player pass you the ball, and I'd take uh, what was called an out ball. Yeah. So um, T had actually uh, really commit his man, so his his opposite number, and then he'd throw this long ball. And I'd catch the ball on the outer, so I'd start to cruise on the outside of my centre. And because um, T was able to hold that five uh, eight um, up, um, it opened the gap up enormously. So the further I went to the right, it meant the centre had to follow me. And just at the last minute, as the centre was about to get me, I could put my left duke out to him and get his attention and uh, and flick it back inside to Matty, where, and there was a big hole there. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we could score lots of tries that way or make lots of busts. And, uh, yeah, one of my favourite moves with, uh, with Matty and, and Big T. Mate, my favourite one was in the major semi-final against Canberra. 
and you were, you did exactly what you did and you put Maddie through the hole. It was about on the halfway line and then Maddie drew the fullback and you scored the first try of the game. It was, it was unbelievable. I remember being yeah, a yeah, that it, look, it looks pretty simple, that stuff, but there's often a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff goes in behind, a lot of thought, thought process goes in and often when it just comes off the once, you kind of go back and think about it and go, oh, okay, let's do that again, you know, and anything that uh, works for you is sort of trying to, trying to have in your game and we're able to pull that off a few times, which was a beauty. Yeah. Hey, T, in 1995, you became captain of the team. You know, you had some great captains before you too. You had Dan Staines in 94 and obviously Gavin Miller and David Hatch before that. In terms of just creating your own style and getting little things from them, what was your approach to leadership? Um, I guess, um, you know, the good thing is, you, you know, it's easy to sort of see who the best leaders are and who and who had success. They're often, often guys who... Um, um, you know, uh, are able to relate to the rest of the team and relate to those players and and get the best out of the players as well. Like it's sort of, uh, you know, just it's, you get um, you get given the captaincy, and it's not so much about um, I believe doing you know being the best by uh, leading by example. I think that's just part of it. I think the most important part is to um, you know get on well with the other players in your team, try to to help them. Um, fulfil their sort of uh, potential, and um, and continue to kind of give them confidence and inspire them with confidence. And I think that you know those sort of things. Um, a lot of that just comes down to talk. Yep. And uh, and you know you you can show your desire that you know that you want to um, want to win, but you know it's about your professionalism, about your approach. Um, it's about uh, um, you know the belief in. In, uh, in, your, in yourself and, and also um, believing in everybody around you that you, you're all there for the same mission. Everybody wants to, wants to um, uh, succeed. Mm. And I think with, um, yeah, I, I guess for us, you know, we wanted to always make sure that, uh, you know, we knew that, you know, we wanted to play against the best teams and the toughest teams, you know. It's no big thrill to play against somebody who you should beat and, and beat them easily. Often it's a tough game, tough, one of the tougher games, but, you know, to be able to rise and play against the best teams and be able to match the best teams, you know, that's what we wanted to do as a club. And so I guess I've sort of pushed that bandwagon pretty much the whole time while I was there at, uh, at the club from 95 on. I just felt that, um, you know, it was really important to sort of uh, move to another level and get these guys, um, you know, wanting and looking forward to the hardest games and, uh, you know, often that enabled us to get right up high in the comp and, you know, being the semis and being major major finals and things. But uh, unfortunately, it's, it's pretty hard to win those competitions, as we've seen the Sharks yeah. took 50 years. But, uh, yeah, you know, I felt um, I had a good relationship with all the players there. Yeah. E.T., did you kind of like save your blow-ups? Because I, I used to remember just seeing you, like you were very quiet and then if they would score in the second half and you boys were just ahead or just behind, you'd give them a bit of a spray. Was that kind of part of your kind of leadership style? Um, yeah, not really. I, I guess I, I tried to... I guess I tried to keep talking the whole game and it's probably something that you didn't really see too much. Yeah. But um, I was probably one of the... Probably talked more than any other player in the team, and it was oh, really? simply because um, you know I had to keep uh, you know for my side, uh, the right hand side. For me, it was about um, 
ensuring that nobody scored on my side of the field. And so, uh, but if I pulled too many players across, it meant that the other side of the field was short as well. So, you know, I was barking all the time. And, you know, you can talk to some of the guys and and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, I'll never shut up. And, (laughs) you know, I think that was, um, you know, I was always, uh, you know, somebody who... um, you know, influenced um, the players around me through my talk. But yeah, I guess every you know, like every uh, every team, you know, when things start to go off the track, you know, you've got to be able to um, to stamp it out pretty quick. So if there's uh, some area of your, you, you know that, that's getting um, it's it's looking a little slack, you've got to be able to to uh, to be to get the the point across pretty quickly to your team. And so if you you know you're behind the posts and and it's a tight, tight game. You know, you have to show how important it is these these next minutes, our next plays, that we're not going to do this again, not not be back here again. So, you know, I felt over the years we probably uh, we all probably contributed pretty well. And I think, um, you know, obviously the more experienced players who you can play with, and the longer those partnerships, and as as we got. Uh, you know, closer to '97 and '98, uh, everybody felt that they were, um, uh, you know, in a position to be able to say their say their piece, and um, and that it kind of, you know, everybody had that responsible role, which is really important to have a lot of leaders in your team. Yeah, Et, how hard was it to announce that you were retiring after, you know, what was it, 17, 18 years in the game? Yeah, well, you know, it was sort of, um, I just finished my 18th year contract and, uh, you know, I was coming, well, coming up to the end of it and I was thinking, um, you know, what, uh, what's the situation? I was 34 at that time, um, of the game and the way it was, you know, we were playing, uh, 34 was a real old guy and, uh, and, you know, where, um, you know, these days there's, you know, guys in their 30s and, you know, they're, you know, I think, uh, like Gal's heading towards 37, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, but I felt that it was, it was my time to sort of, uh, you know, I felt I could still play, no problems, and, um, still play at a very high level. But, uh, you know, a lot of younger players starting to come through, and I felt, you know, they deserved a chance. And, um, you know, it was my time to, uh, to look to try to have success in some other area of life. And, you know, I played 18 years, which was a long, long time, and had two years in England as well. So I mm. played pretty much 20 seasons of first-grade footy and then all the kangaroo tours. And, um, you know, I think these, got, these days the players, uh, you know, just don't play as many games as we used to play, you know. I think um, I think in the end I, had some, I played some uh, something more around the the lines of 250 um, yeah. first grade sort of standard games and, you know, with all the uh, all the other matches, the 40 games for Leeds and, the, you know, all the different rep games and the tour games, you know, we used to play at least 10, 10 matches on those tours. Mm. Um, so, you know, there was yeah, probably another 100 games uh, added on to my career from all this other stuff and I felt, well, you know, it's... I've had a great career. It's uh, time to let these other dudes have a crack, and I'll move on into some other area of uh, of life. Which at that stage, I was pretty keen to get involved in in doing television and doing uh, doing a, a fishing outdoor adventure show. So it sort of all came together as well. So it made it pretty simple. Yeah, that, that fishing side of you that came from a trip with Rex Hunt, didn't it? 
Yeah, I had a trip with Rex um, many years ago and, you know, we had a fantastic trip away. I was with Tony Lockett, uh, Plugger, his name was from the Swans, a great great AFL player. And uh, Rex, he took us away for a week and uh, we had an absolute absolute ball and Rex was, was... just having an afternoon dip in the pool at the end of the day up in the Northern Territory there, as you do, and he's turned to me and said, well, E.T., how do you like how do you like my office? And I thought I thought, wow, this is pretty cool, Rex, I think I'd like to do this. And, uh, yeah, from that day on, I sort of set my sights on uh, trying to get a television show up, um, built around fishing and adventure, and, uh, yeah, just, we're just about to head in our 19th season of it, so we've had 18 years of that show as well, which has been pretty cool. Guys, we hope you're enjoying this show with E.T. If you haven't yet, we've got a whole backlog of episodes that I'm sure that you will enjoy. Here is the latest, Trevor Hendy. So check out a quick little sneak peek. And then we were kind of like, it's like meeting an old soulmate. We spent so much time together after that. We sat in a golf cart together for the day, played golf with himself, myself, um, Oki. Yeah. You know, Oki and, uh, and John Shimuka, nice. old surfer, and uh, four of us. So I got rocked up, and, and John and he had this. They got me my golf clubs in the cart next to Kelly, and they said, You need to spend time with Kelly. And uh, and they all knew me, they, they'd known me for a long time, and they're like, You need to spend time with Kelly. And so I, you know, I'm a few years older, three years older, and uh, it was like an older brother turning up to help him out. We became great mates. We toe surfed together, we took big waves, drove around the oceans together, had lots of laughs, had lots of adventures, but then went on a really deeply personal you know, journey together and I sort of um, um, helped mentor a guy to look after him through many different phases and stuff. And I was just a few years in front of the process. You know, as I said, I was passing on in boot camp, so I was just passing on something someone passed on to me. Yeah, that was a great episode with Trev. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or you can check out the website www.talkingwithtk.com. Like I did mention, there is a whole heap of episodes for you to check out. Some of our latest ones have had Carmichael Hunt, Kieran Perkins, Alex Volkanovsky, Nathan Sharp, Kaya Simon, Michael Klim. The list goes on. So a little bit of something for everyone, from rugby to swimming to V8 Supercast to cricket. So even uh, oh, Chief Harrigan came on if you're a big league supporter. So please check out the old episodes. If you've got any feedback, send them through. Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. But for the meantime, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I'm going to ask you, after 18 years of you know TV, what what visions do you have for your show moving forward? Yeah, well, I guess um, you know, you're always trying to come up with new, uh, new things and uh, new segments and things that are going to sort of engage people. I guess we've been fortunate the last few years, things like uh, drones have come in and there's great underwater action cameras and you can uh, capture so much more on screen now. So there's some amazing footage that uh, it's doing the rounds and we're fortunate to be able to get get on top of all that. Um, You know, producing some other shows. uh, We're doing some seafood cooking shows these days and I'm involved with uh, Discovery Channel for their Shark Week um, uh, hosting their Shark Week shows, and uh, so I'm involved with a number of different uh, broadcasts. But it's uh, yeah, certainly great to be uh, to be still on on air after this many years, and 
Um, yeah, we're actually doing a a book to, uh, for Christmas this year, which is uh, all my last 18 years of adventures, fishing adventures, and uh, yeah, so that'll be pretty cool to do. So I'm sort of in the midst of uh, getting photos and things together now for a, for a book, but it's been good fun, and yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate. Yeah, did you struggle like finding identity at all, at all when you retired? I guess I was very fortunate. I think, um, yeah, my going into my last year of footy, I already decided that okay, I was going to retire at the end of this year, mm. and um, I was going to move into um, television. I set up a little production company, and uh, the year my last year, I shot twenty two shows. So um, I was I was able to head off from training Tuesday night and uh, and be back for training Thursday morning, but I'd shoot all day Wednesday and we were able to make a whole pile of television shows that uh, Channel 9 took up and we're on Channel 9 for eight years and been on Channel 10 for, for 10 years. So it's been, uh, you know, I guess as far as identity goes, you know, a lot of players who have been in the um, limelight, it is very difficult once mm. you once you once you finish your footy career. There's really, you know, if you don't move into television, there's really um, it's very difficult for a lot of these players to uh, to come to terms with the fact that uh, they're not in the limelight anymore. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a, a difficult road out there. And uh, you know, so I think you know the most important thing for players who are getting towards the end of their career is to to really start focusing on. On, uh, with their spare time, looking at other options, what they're going to do outside of footy, because you've really, you know, there's, you know, I could have probably retired when I finished playing footy, but there's, there's definitely no, um, no advantage in, uh, uh, in not having, you know, things to do, things to interest you, especially as a, as a, a sportsman who's had uh, lots of challenges and things in front of them all their lives. You know, you do need to continue in that same realm. You need to go and take challenges on and do new things and, and hopefully hopefully have success. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, as far as players go, um, you know, it's really important for them to, to do their research and preparation and get geared up for, for life after footy before they even retired. Yeah, ET, just sticking on getting a little bit of advice, you know, I know yourself, you've been pretty open with, you know, your own situations with depressions and things like that. In terms of advice for all of us out there that might have bad days or are struggling with stress, have you got any advice for us? Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, everybody has uh, uh, different stages in their lives that, um, you know, things... uh, Things don't go to plan, and um, you know, even though you know you can prepare all your life, but sometimes things aren't aren't heading the right way. And I guess probably the most important thing, um, you know, if you've you know if things come up that uh, or problems arise that you don't seem to be able to to fix or you can't get a handle on them, the most important thing is to not um, keep it all inside. You've you've really, I'd say the best advice would be to to share it with friends and. And uh, and family who are going to do the right thing by you, and they're definitely going to help you through that tough situation. But you know, it's a very hard thing to do, especially as a uh, um, you know, as a as a footballer who would sort of 
you know, had, had quite a big ego and, you know, you don't really want to go and tell people, oh, you got any problems or anything's wrong with you, you know, so it's very easy to keep that all bottled up inside you and, yeah. and for the problem just to keep on getting getting worse and worse. So, you know, I think the, the hardest thing is uh, is just coming to terms with you, hey, you've got this big problem and you, you can't solve it by yourself. You really do need help. So, you know, if you... Um, Turn towards your your family. Turn towards your friends. Get the best advice you possibly can. Um, and then, if you know, in the end, the problem's still there. Uh, you know, it's best to always um, go and seek some help and some professional help um, for somebody to actually, uh, you know, sort you through. And they'll actually sort through you, you know, through the problems with you. And you, you just need people. Um, you know, people on your side who are going to do the right thing by you. So that's that's your pet where your family and your friends step in. And uh, yeah, don't ever be afraid to uh, to not approach um, uh, you know these people who are in your lives just simply because you you know you, you don't want to be embarrassed or your ego is holding you back. It's really important to you know um, to make the tough decisions, and and they're the decisions that are going to bring your success further down the track. Yeah, Ito, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. We're just going to go a little bit more lighthearted now, mate. I've got a couple of personality ones for you. Now, after the 2016 Grand Final, you and Gao, in one of the best photos of all time, have been hugging and, and crying. What exactly were you guys saying to each other? Oh, I think, uh, you know, along the lines of, uh, you know, we did it, you know, like, you know, Gao, Gao had... Um, yeah, it was, it was quite surreal, really. You know, I sort of um, was out there on the field, which was fantastic, and I was sort of, you know, congratulating all the players. And then I looked up, and down near the dead ball line, Gal spotted me, and he came roaring in my direction, which was fantastic. And, uh, you know, he just gave us the biggest hug in the world. And, and, you know, at that time, the emotion was enormous because, you know, it had taken 50 years for our club to, to win a premiership. Um, it's so much effort. The guys even right at the end of the game could have lost that game very easily to Melbourne. You know, it was uh, it's such a difficult thing to do and the boys actually did it. So, yeah. you know, we were basically just embracing, saying, you know, I was saying, you just did it, you know, and he was saying, we did it. You know, it was yeah. just like, um, you know, and, you know, I talked to Gal before about it and, you know, he understood how important it was for not only him and his his team at the moment, but, uh, you know, it was important for all the teams of the past, you know, all the pillar players who had toiled to try to get to that grand final and win it and, you know, all the administrators and coaches and there's so many people tied up, as well as the fans, you know, everybody was sort of in it, you know, and I think um, it wasn't a win just for the Cronulla Sharks uh, team of 17 and coach it was a team for, for everybody who had ever had you know supported or had any anything to do with the club so you know that's why it was so emotional i guess they were tears of joy you know and i think uh you know it's, well, I think uh, it's, crying. <laughs> yeah i think every all the sharks yeah. fans i think were, would have had a tear in their eye at that stage and, i couldn't uh, even sing up that granola because i was crying <laughs> now et uh i just want to take you back to the 1990 kangaroo tour and just get your recollection of two tries, which I think is just unbelievable. That, the one that Mel Maniga took from Ricky Stewart, obviously they ran the length of the field to win the try, but the one I really love is that one that went through 30 sets of hands and then you put that kick up for Cliffy Lyons and he scored. 
Yeah, pretty amazing um, times over there, and, and and those kangaroo tours were definitely the best the best times of my life as far as on the football front. You know, it was just amazing to be able to to uh, to make those teams, to be able to go across to England and play. Um, you know, in these in, in many in many games there, but also the Test series over there, and uh, you know, it's just an amazing. It was an amazing time, you know. It's unfortunate they don't do it anymore, but uh, those times were certainly, yeah, some of the greatest. And you know, I remember those tries. Um, you know, being involved in that one where you know I was able to kick the ball back into Cliffy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Cliff touched the ball about three times just in that one in that one uh, movement. You know, it was an amazing try. Probably one of the best ever, and uh, it was just great to be a part of it. But uh, you know, you could see at that stage we'd lost the first test, so the pressure was enormous on us to win this next test just to keep the series alive. And um, you know, we're playing at Old Trafford, huge, um, huge uh, support, uh, singing in the in the stands, and they just uh, you know they were playing really good footy the, the English side, and it was one of those times where you know the, the the game was really close. There hadn't really been any points scored. It was, um, you know, the the, uh, the English side were playing great footy and, and you know, we really had to pull something out of the box to be able to come up with a try and uh, we were able to able to do it. Every every player in that movement were, was putting in the biggest and the hardest effort, you know. I think Dale Shearer went down and knocked a bloke backwards and mm. got the ball out. It was just sort of like it went across the field, it went back across the other side, it came back across again and <laughs> ended up in my deck uh, heading down the sideline and and um, I was fortunate. I'd played uh, in England with Cliffy a few times before we played at Leeds together a couple of years earlier. So we, we had a great combination then. And I could see Cliffy with his hand up. And um, so I just got the yeah the right kick across to him and it bounced up into his hands. And yeah, beside the pace he went, it was a pretty cool day. Oh, it was awesome. I remember me and my brother, we used to wake up at four in the morning. We didn't care what time it was. We used to love it when you guys went on tour. Yeah, it was insane. I used to do that with Dad too for the earlier tours when, you know, he used to wake me up and we'd sit up and watch the Kangaroos play. It was it was insane. All right, AT, I've got two more personality questions. The first one is, when you were growing up, what posters did you have on your bedroom wall? What posters did I have on my bedroom wall? Yeah. Wow, that's... Uh, um, I had, definitely had the Sharkies team up there, so I always had... Uh, had a, uh, a picture of the sharks up there. I think um, in my teenage years, um, yeah, I had just it was I had a uh, uh, a big map of Australia. Funny enough, <laughs> and on that map, I had I used to write all my goals down on that map and. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, you know, at that stage I was playing juniors, probably Matthew's Cup and those sorts of things, and I'd write down all the things that I wanted to do that year, the players that I, you know, even at that age, I think I was probably 12 and 13, and, uh, you know, I had to, uh, I was writing up goals that I wanted to achieve that year and players that I wanted to beat for those positions in the in the Sharkies um, junior, <laughs> juniors team. So, yeah, and then I just, um, yeah, as it went on, I kept that there right through my whole teens, I had a whole pile of uh, goals that I'd sort of put on there and tried to achieve over all the years. And, and uh, one of them was, of course, one day play first grade for the Sharkies, and I was able to do that. That's unreal. Like on my wall, I had yourself, I had Rocky, and I had Muhammad Ali. 
So. No, man, what a, hey, what a privilege for me to be up in that company. That's big gods, mate. That's great. <laughs> My mum was loving it, actually. I, sp- I spoke to her last night and I told her I was interviewing today and she was... I was pretty excited, and uh, you can only imagine what she was like because she had to make sure all the posters were all okay, you know. Very good. <laughs> all right, ET, final question. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, your only rules, no family or friends, but it can be anyone, dead or alive. Who would you like to invite to dinner? Well, I think, um, I guess for me, I'd be, I'd be sort of uh, looking to to uh, get as many great sports stars of the past together uh, from all different sports, you know. It would be uh, amazing to have someone, you know, like Muhammad Ali come along, uh, Michael Michael Jordan, the basketballer. Um, You know, and, you know, unfortunately for Tiger Woods, his his last lot of years haven't been that memorable, (laughs) but but he was an absolute freak of the game, you know, well beyond his years and... uh, yeah, Tiger would probably uh, probably get a start, and um, oh, so probably one of the great tennis players of all time. Um, yeah, probably even uh, Federer. You know, someone oh, like that. Easy. You know, yeah. but, you know, he's just a master, and and uh, yeah, just to talk to those guys who are just um, you know they're in a one of those elite sort of levels of competition that you always could just look at them and go wow you know there was no other word for those players and and uh yeah i'd love to love to have a whole pile of uh, you know great sports stars there to chat to all right et before i let you go i want everyone at home following et he's on facebook at escape fishing with et instagram is andrew weddinghausen or you can catch escape fishing with et on saturdays at 4 30 p.m on channel 10 or an encore on one at sunday at 10 a.m Andrew Weddinghausen, you've been an absolute legend in my life and I really appreciate you stopping by today, man. Yeah, great to talk to you. Cheers, mate. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode with Andrew Weddinghausen, a real personal one for me. I love that because he was one of the posters, like I said, on the on my wall growing up. So it was great to chat to someone that I absolutely idolized growing up. Next on the show, guys, we should have Bradley Clyde lined up, and we're just figuring out dates with both So the Hulk and Joel Parkinson as well. So we've got some great episodes ahead. Stay tuned. The Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather preview show that I've been promising for the last few weeks should be out at some stage, hopefully later this week or early next week, just putting it all together. But in the meantime, if you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. If you want to get in contact with me, please connect with me online, Twitter, I'm at Fitness. Facebook, Talking with TK, or Instagram, Tristan Nell. Please take me on any post. I would love it if you share it with your family and friends. And subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But until next time, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.